Hey, my name's Ruben, the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church. Welcome to our podcast, where you can catch up on all the messages that you might have missed, or you might want to hear again. We hope you enjoy this message. We hope it challenges you. We hope it encourages you. And we hope ultimately that it would draw you closer to Jesus. Enjoy. Good morning, everyone. Uh, good to be here. I count it a privilege to have the opportunity to talk. Um, uh, as Jack said, my name's Andrew. Uh, I'm a long-term attender of this church, and, and, and you're all my, my church family, and that's cool to be here, cool to be together. Uh, so we're in the series called, uh, all to do with the presence, the presence of God, uh, and today's topic is, is uh, entitled Presence in the Quiet, and a little bit later we're going to be reading from 1 Kings 19. Uh, and just to come back to a very basic uh, a starting point, uh, we, we are asking the question if um, if the life of Christian faith is one in which we can expect to experience something of the presence of God in our lives. Um, it's a puzzling question because uh, uh, it raises all kinds of uh, other kind of issues on the periphery, but um, is, it, is, is it right for us to think that if we have faith in Jesus, if we believe in God the Father, that it's not just something that we kind of believe and hold as a thought in our minds, but that we might actually experience something of his presence in our lives. It's not uh, such a weird question as it seems uh, at first glance, because we are introduced to this idea at many points through, uh, through, the, through the scriptures. In the earliest pages of, of Genesis, um, in Eden, we read of God being present in the garden, and wanting to talk with Adam and Eve, and he can't find them, and he calls out to them, where are you? He, he, wanted, he wanted to be with them. And it begs the question, what, what, did he, what did he want with them? I suspect he wanted their company, and I suspect he wanted conversation. So this idea of being in God's presence and that meaning something uh, to us is something present right from the earliest stages uh, of the scripture. This morning as I was just preparing my notes, uh, Harry, the six-year-old, came into my office. He'd just woken up and he came and forced himself onto my knee and sat there really still. And we were just kind of talking about rubbish, really. <laughs> but he was there and we were, he was still and we were talking. Um, and he turned to me and said, Dad, I love you. And I said, I love you too. Um, and then he was off and he had found some toys to play with. And as I had my notes in front of me, I thought, ah, oh, is this like a little picture of what it might be like to be present with God? Some kind of closeness, um, intimate conversation, the sharing of love. The moment with Harry didn't last very long. A little bit later, he had a dart, and as I left the house this morning, he threw it and it hit me in the side of the neck. Um, that, that's life with a six-year-old. So anyway, to answer or to think some more, if, if, if not to answer, at least to think a little bit more about this idea of God's presence, um, we are looking at some case histories from the Bible, and, uh, and we're interrogating them, we're asking uh, what does presence look like? What did God's presence look like then? What might God's presence look like now? Um, and today we're going to consider the life and story of Elijah, who was an Old Testament prophet. Um, just out of interest, um, in preparation for this morning, has anybody uh, just read recently through the story of Elijah? Can we just have a show of hands? There's a few. Anyone weirded out by this story? It's pretty intense. 
Um, there's three characters in this story. Before we do our, our reading from First Kings, I want to introduce you to these first uh, three, uh, to these three characters. The, the nation of Israel was a long, long way from her glory days. A nation who, which was established by a promise to Abraham, delivered from slavery, uh, was formed and nurtured and blessed by God. And at the time of David and, and half of uh, Solomon's kingship, um, the nation of Israel seemed to live up to the ideal uh, that God had intended, that, that, nation would, that, that God would bless this nation and that through this nation there would be blessing to every family uh, on the earth. Um, unfortunately, that um, ideal did not uh, last very long and the nation of Israel had fallen a long, long way from her glory days. And I want to introduce you to the first character in the story whose name is Ahab. Ahab was the king and Ahab's heart was not after the God of Israel. Um, he was thought of as a, as a wicked king who treated his people poorly and he married a woman called Jezebel. Now Jezebel was the daughter of the king of Sidon who was a, a, a neighbouring nation. Um, and between the two of them, these two characters, Ahab and Jezebel, they not only uh, turned their hearts away from the, king of, uh, from the God of Israel, but they had turned their hearts directly towards other gods, towards Baal and towards Asherah, so much so that they had actively rounded up and slaughtered prophets of the God of Israel and had invited the prophets uh, the priests of Baal and Asherah, to live in their palace and dine at their table. This is the nation of Israel. Not only was the nation of Israel in this perilous state, but the, the entire nation had split in two. Uh, the nation was no longer as it was. And into this scene comes a man uh, called Elijah. The first thing that Elijah does when he comes into the story is he goes and visits Ahab and Elijah says to Ahab, Ahab, you've turned your heart and the heart of your people away from the one true God. The one true God is bringing a drought on your land. And then he left. And at God's direction, Elijah went and camped up by a brook so that he had supply of water to drink, but he had no food. But that was okay because God directed ravens to bring him bread and meat, breakfast and dinner. After a while, the drought became severe and the brook dried up. And so Elijah needed some other form of sustenance. So he went into a town and met a widow. And he said to the widow, please, can I have some food? And the widow said, look, I'm sorry, but me and my son, we are close to death. I only have one small handful of flour and one tiny jar of oil left. That's all that I have. And Elijah said to her, thus says the Lord, your ingredients will never run out. Please, can I have something to eat? So Elijah lived with this small family and they made bread and they drank and the ingredients never ran out. The boy of this family, after some period of time, fell ill uh, and died. And Elijah prayed to the Lord of Israel and said, Lord, would you please give your life back to this boy? And this boy was raised from the dead. These are the early events of the life of Elijah, some pretty weighty things, a drought, ingredients that never ran out, raising from the dead. But uh, 
if, uh, if you've read, so today we're going to be reading Elijah, uh, 1 Kings 19. If you read 1 Kings 18, you'll figure that those stories are nothing in comparison to the thing that Elijah has become most well known for. And this is the carnage that happened on Mount Carmel. So these events had all taken place, and then Elijah represents to himself to King Ahab. And Ahab says, what do you want, you troubler of Israel? And Elijah says to the king and to the nation of Israel, it's time for you all to decide which God is going to be your God. And so he invites all of the priests of Baal and Asherah and the nation of Israel to the top of Mount Carmel. And they set up this showdown scenario where two altars are made out of stones and two bulls are slaughtered and laid on the stones. And Elijah says to the priests of Baal and Asherah, you pray to your God, and I'll pray to mine. And let's see what happens. You go first. So the priests of Baal and Asherah, they pray and they pray, they dance and they sing. They commit a whole pile of, or they do a whole pile of rituals for hours and hours and nothing happens. And then Elijah steps up uh, and he prays, O oh Lord, let it, be know this, let it be known this day that you are God. <clears throat> um, and something very dramatic happened. The fire of the Lord fell from heaven and consumed the offering. And when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they cried, <clears throat> The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. This is one of the prophetic and dramatic high points of the entire Old Testament, and Elijah was right there in the midst of it. It's hard to overstate the drama which had just unfolded and the way in which God had shown himself. That's the backstory. Um, let's read from 1 Kings 19. Ahab told Jezebel, so the king told the queen, all that Elijah had done and how he had... Oh, I didn't tell you the last bit of the story. After the fire fell and the people fell on their faces saying, he is our God, the priests of Asherah and Baal were rounded up, taken down the mountain uh, and were slaughtered. The king told the queen this and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a message to Elijah and said, So may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. In other words, Elijah, I'm coming after your life and you'll be dead within 24 hours. Then Elijah was afraid and he arose and he ran for his life and he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It's enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was at his head a cake 
baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind and the earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshi you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel-Mehoah you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Are you all following? This is weird, isn't it? Yeah. I've learnt an awful lot in reading this passage and studying it. I've read about how Hebrew authors wrote narratives. I've read, I've read about narrative illusions. Uh, I've read and thought a lot about how God uh, has been, uh, uh, was present with Elijah through this whole scenario. I really want to make three uh, main observations for us to think about today. Um, and the first comes from the first few verses, and this relates... Uh, to fear and exhaustion, Elijah, having come through a time of uh, drama and uh, triumph, found himself at the other end of the emotional spectrum. He was not doing well. He was fearful for his own life. 
and he was physically exhausted. And under his own strength, he had made it one day into the wilderness. He wanted to die. Even though he had witnessed firsthand God at work in miraculous ways, he was fearful for his life. And he felt like a failure, just like his father's. And I think what he means by this is that he saw himself as the prophet of Israel where there had been this long history of prophets who had attempted to bring the nation of Israel back in line, back uh, to turn their hearts back to uh, the one true God. But he saw that that was failing in front of his lines and he saw himself as no better than anyone who came before him. And out of that, he had had enough. I want you to take my life, Lord. It's worth noting, though, that from that place of misery and despair, his heart was still turned to Lord. Oh, Lord, he cried out from that place of misery and despair. So Elijah was afraid and he was exhausted. The second thing for us to think about is that God's provision for him was that he should not be afraid and exhausted, but that he should arise and he should eat. God heard his prayer and he provided for him. He provided a broom tree to give shade. This is a broom tree in the deserts of Israel. First of all, can you imagine a more barren place and a drier place? But broom trees are known for two things, incredibly deep roots that they would need to have to get down to find any form of nutrition and water, but also very, very dense thicket, so that when they are found in the midst of a hot, dry desert, they provide shade and rest. That's what they're known for. God provided that for Elijah. He provided him shade. He also provided him a freshly baked cake and water and Elijah slept and then he had some more and then he slept again. God provided for his needs. And I also note there's this incredible contrast between how far he was able to go in his own strength, i.e. one day into the wilderness, but once he had experienced God's rest, and the food and the drink that God had provided for him, he was able to go 40 days and 40 nights in the strength of that food to the Mount of God. Elijah was in a bad place, but God provided for his needs, and it was provision of substance. The third thing for us to uh, think about uh, is this puzzling passage, uh, which is right in the middle uh, of what we're thinking about today. Go out and stand before the Lord. And what did Elijah experience? First of all, this incredibly destructive wind that whistles through the mountain and tore rocks in pieces. He experienced an earthquake and he experienced fire. And I have this feeling that um, Isaiah 
being present on the mountain of God, having experienced what he had experienced from God before, was was expecting something very dramatic. And as the wind blew and the earth shook and the fire raged, I'm sure Elijah was thinking, man, I've seen some incredible things before, but here comes something that is going to absolutely blow my mind. The drama of Elijah's own interactions with God had been escalating exponentially. They started out as a miracle near a creek, then the miraculous pantry items, then a boy being risen from the dead, and then this incredible public spectacle on the summit of Mount Carmel. And there he was, at the summit of the Mount of God, Mount Horeb, the very same mountain, where Moses received the Ten Commandments, the site of possibly the greatest drama uh, in the history of the nation of Israel. You can only imagine Elijah's anticipation. But even though God was present, that he was passing by, he was not in any of those dramatic uh, manifestations. He was not in any of them. God spoke to Elijah in a quiet whisper. And and what was the nature of that conversation? Now, the last slide that I had up of 1 Kings 19 gives uh, God's full speech. Um, And to be honest, there's a lot of historical allusions there. But the nature of the conversation is this, that God had with Elijah. God asks Elijah a question. What are you doing here? Elijah answers... I've been a good prophet, but Israel have gone rogue and I'm about to be killed. And God says to him, I've got something for you to do and I don't want you to worry about Israel. I've got it all sorted. And that's it. God's message, God's reply to Ezekiel was essentially a message of reassurance. So what do we take out of something like this? It all happened thousands of years ago. It's a messy and clunky passage to read through. It's set in a time where people were being slaughtered left, right and centre. And out of this, we're supposed to pick up something of the character and nature of God and how he interacts um, with, with men. Well, this is how I read it. I read, I read it as Elijah, the man of God, being down for the count. And when he needed it most... He experienced God's rest and his sustenance. And when he looked for God to show himself in a bold and dramatic way, God showed him a different way. He spoke to him in a quiet voice. If I'm honest, there's a a lot about Elijah's story that resonates strongly with me. To be clear, uh, absolutely none of the miraculous things I've never, ever had birds bring things to me. I've only seen birds take food away. Uh, When I bake a cake, the ingredients always run out. Uh, uh, And the only fire I've ever seen falling from heaven was in a game of fireball soccer when the fireball disintegrated mid-lob and part of it landed on my head. Singed my eyebrows. Didn't look good for a day or two. But I do know what it's like to have tried to serve God as best you could... Uh, and then the wheels fell off. Um, 
and life became a bit frazzled <clears throat> and that doesn't feel so good and it takes quite a lot to recover from a place like that. And so I feel something of what Elijah uh, experienced. This is where his experience does ring true to me though because despite the unpleasantness and the disorientation of something like that happening, uh, I experienced uh, through that time uh, moments of uh, calm reassurance and comfort that came out of the blue that were in stark, stark contrast to how I was feeling and what life was like for me. And I interpreted those moments as the presence of God uh, and his voice in my experience. And those moments were never loud and they were never bold. They were quiet, they were sweet, and they were sustaining and they were profound. And those quiet experiences have had a profound effect on me um, because the way I think about my own practice of the life of faith is changing because when I try to read God's word now or talk to him in prayer, I'm trying to learn not just to read and to talk but to be quiet and to listen. Um, and this is what happens. Sometimes uh, I'll be reading the Bible uh, slowly, reading or rereading, and sometimes a word or a phrase will stick out to me really strongly. Um, and when that happens, I interpret that as God by his spirit impressing something on me. And when it does happen, I try to recognise it and to stop doing what I'm doing and just pause in that moment uh, and think about it and think about the relevance that it has for me at that moment. And I try to come back to it later in the day and think about it again and mull it over it in my mind. I had this experience strongly recently with Psalm 25. Um, where multiple points through that psalm, uh, there were some things that, that stood out to me very strongly. Um, I typed that psalm out in a Word document and I've got it saved on the desktop of my, of my laptop and I open it regularly to read and to reread. Um, and each time I read it, different things uh, stand out. Also, it's changed um, how I pray. Um, when I uh, am engaging in a time of prayer, I try not to talk the whole time. After a while, <clears throat> after a while um, I purposefully stop praying and I try and maintain this mindset and this attitude of prayer but not saying anything. I'm just waiting in God's presence um, and sometimes in those moments God will bring something to me, a, a person or an issue uh, or a situation that I feel like uh, God is leading me by his spirit to pray in, for that person or for that situation at that moment. And when I do, I've had this strange experience that not only has God led me to pray in that way for that person, but in that some way he gives me the specific words to pray uh, in those moments. So what I'm trying to do is create time and space and quiet in God's presence so that there's the opportunity to hear his quiet voice. There is often so much noise and so little quiet that I get the feeling that 
the noise around us actually deadens our ability to engage with those quiet moments and to hear his quiet voice. That's all that I've got to say um, about Elijah in this passage from uh, 1 Kings 19. And to close, what I'd like to do as uh, as a benediction and as a blessing is to read some of Psalm 25, not the whole thing, but the first 15 verses. So so as I read, um, could I ask you please, maybe just to close your eyes um, and to quieten your heart. to invite God into this moment as we, uh, as we read his word, as we think about it and mull it over, and just invite God to impress on our hearts the things that he would have us hear from these words. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O oh my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall ever be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Father God, God of Israel, God of Elijah, God of monumental drama, and God of peaceful quiet, We are just so glad that you are present with us. My prayer for us as a family is that we would ever be moving forward in this journey of discovery 
of life in your presence. Help us to experience it more. Help us to hear your voice more and to live uh, out of the reality of that presence. We bless you and we honour you and we thank you. In Jesus' worthy and precious name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Crossroads Church Podcast. If you'd like any more information on our church, how to give, or maybe after today's message you'd like to talk to someone, you can find out everything you need to know on our website, which is crossroads.co.nz. Make sure you click subscribe on this podcast so you don't miss out on new content. Thanks for stopping by.